Hello everyone, welcome to the first installment of what hopefully will be many <laughs> of the Gabbist podcast. My name's Andrew Powell, never met sweet, sexy radio voice, perhaps I don't uh, know exactly what tone to take as I stand out in the rain by the bonfire, the bonfire's remains burn a big one tonight in my little suburban neighborhood where a normal man would surely have been carted off to wherever they take cereal I don't want to say arsonist firebug doesn't get it what's a pyromaniac don't forget the maniac I guess we'll start right there a little bit about me I like fire I like fire a whole lot like this since I was a kid I think it's what drew me probably to smoking cigarettes <laughs> what do you mean I get to flick a bick oh I uh, have all these grand ideas and things I want to share of course until I finally decide to do this it's been a it's been a hell of a ride the last <laughs> few years really this lifetime of mine of course, everybody would like to say the same thing. Pretentiously, I say, few have that right in my circles. But then again, my circle is, I'd say, small, smaller than it's been. It's still large compared to some. But I pride myself in <laughs> acquiring extraordinary folks, different folks different backgrounds I, uh, I like the damaged ones I like the different ones Smoke. I like the beat down the trotting upon I like the convicted felons <laughs> sometimes I like the weirdos all the time really you got to gotta be one to hang out with me I like uh, I like those who had absent fathers or pieces of work. I like those who have say the look about them that makes the world want to kick the shit out of them. I like those who who don't give up, and I like the ones who are damn near close at any given point in time. Sometimes. The life of normalcy has always left a just an ill taste in my mouth. A long time that was a taste that I I chased. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted it so bad it hurt me inside. I wanted to be something I wasn't. Something I cannot even grasp. Some now I cannot even fathom. A life of normalcy. People always say, "What is normal?" Normal is a nine-to-five job. Nothing wrong with that. I ain't hating. I worked an eight-to-four for the last uh, almost eight years. Then again, I worked for my father, a family-owned business, where I 
ran CNC computerized routers and trained people to do the same. <sighs> a family owned business that I became a part of uh, right out of college. I stopped going. Actually, that's a long story. I did not finish college. I did not get my entrepreneurial business degree. Well, I did get two years of macro and microeconomics, two years of accounting, statistics. The only course I actively failed, calculus, and that was because I did not take the final. There was no way. I, uh, I was not going to score that lofty B I needed on that final when we were doing the negative inverse wavelengths calculation of it didn't help it was at 8 a.m. it didn't help that the fellow the gentleman the teacher of that large hundred plus student class did not speak English as his first or second language I dare say no <clears throat> it didn't help that I uh, was perpetually uh, had the pleasure of marshalling out the the MD-11 aircraft the last outbound flight on wing B heading for beautiful San Francisco, California. No, it was a rough it was a rough time to clock out at 5.30 a.m. and be at 8 a.m. calculus but um, uh, without the use of hardcore stimulants, those came later. I uh, somehow <laughs> somehow managed to do whatever what I did which was learn I like to chase women more than I like to study and that the University of Louisville was not for me nor was UPS so after 13 months of <laughs> a young man's hell I left there to go work for my father to actually practice this entrepreneurial business thing that I have always been drawn to chase <clears throat> where then I began to attend the lovely Jefferson Community Technical College Southwest Campus where my grades I excelled and I stopped going I was two classes short of an associate and I was making A's and B's <laughs> and not trying smoking weed in a bong out of a bong in my Ford Aerostar in the parking lot before most classes but uh, even the English teacher knew I was high and he scolded me good. He he liked me. I've always been well liked. Um, for a long time, that was a disadvantage of mine when I came in contact with people who did not like me. It was foreign. It was foreign and it was hurtful. And well, I adopted a, the most pleasant of attitudes early on, starting about sophomore year of high school. Truly, that. Uh, I didn't care what people thought of me. Most people wear that as a pretentious badge of honor. I know men in their 30s and 40s who still, they want to say it loud and clear, I don't care. You know, think what they want. No, I didn't, I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I did wear that like a badge of honor because by then though, I had been burned. By then I had tried to, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> It's hard enough. The whole, you know, they're forcing square pegs through round holes thing really resonates with me when it comes to 
the system of schooling in America and the system of thinking, you know, factory jobs or everyone must go to college or yada yada yada. Well, it was bad enough that I was trying to force the peg through as well and I burn on it. I burn on that really, really early on. My freshman year of high school really burnt me out. Burnt me out and made me very angry and hateful um, in some aspects, but in other aspects it made me loyal and appreciative. Um, I'm getting all that later. But even through the throes of that, I was well liked. By some, by most, in fact. By the end of that high school career that I'll surely delve into, self-centered as I am. Gabbesty, right? The gabbest gift of gab. Talk about anything and nothing all at once. But even at the graduation of high school, I came in knowing no one but my twin brother. I had one cousin and uh, Katie Mae Martin. We rode the bus together. So there's, there's four people I knew in that school of several thousand. By the end of it, I, well, I really did run the place. <laughs> I have students underneath my thumb. Peers, right? Take them here, Andrew. They don't listen. Send them nice out. Or maybe even the the casual call down to the office by a woman who uh, shall rename nameless to say, the dogs are coming to school. Do you need me to get anything out of your car? Or do you want to pull it around to the teacher lot? Popular. Popular. Smart. Weird. All throughout my entire life, I can be described as a strange one. Sometimes strange, sometimes unique. Always weird, different. Once again, it didn't matter how badly I wanted to fit in. It was not meant to be. But by that point in time, I realized that fitting in was bullshit. I want to fit in. I didn't want to walk into a room and be ignored. Shoot. I wanted to walk into the room and have people turn their heads. I had a, a family member one time describe what it was like to meet Bill Clinton. He said he had his back to him. And then Bill walked in the room. Mr. Clinton and he said it was crazy it was like the energy of the room changed it's like before he even knew it's like he felt this presence felt the charisma of this man and how much of that of course is hindsight and the human brain jading our experiences and helping us process what must happen when someone like that walks into the room when everyone knows your name when everybody even if they don't believe in your political alliance it's like that is Bill Clinton and at the height of his power. Was, I think it's just after his, uh, his term, maybe during. But that vibration, I always wanted to capture it. I wanted polarizing. And sometimes I didn't care how. Because you see, truly, I didn't care. And when people didn't like me, fuck them. Not fuck them, I want to fight them. I'd fuck them. I wish you'd on them. Just uh, whatever. You don't like me? Fine. I made it hard to dislike me to an extent. Well, <laughs> as I got older. 
Nowadays, I take it as a challenge. If you don't like me, okay, cool. If I've done something to offend you, I'll find out what it is. And I'll rectify it even if I'm not wrong. Not that I'll kowtow and bow, not that I'll change who I am as a person, but for me, I found that there's great power in being able to convince people that they're wrong about their opinion of you. I found great power in being able to communicate with many scopes of people. Power <sighs> through yeah, manipulation, isn't that what it is? Isn't that what it is to have power? That poorly connotated word. That word, manipulation, must be evil. And it can be. But, mm. manipulation is at the root what we do. We manipulate our hair, we manipulate our very moral fiber, our being. We. <laughs> We must become the most societally acceptable version of who our true selves are. No one wants you to be yourself. I've only met a couple of people out there who, by being themselves, bring anything but misery to those around them and, and themselves. Britta Lily, I'm talking to you, my lovely sister-in-law. Just a peach of pleasure. You know, David Van Tilburg. I don't know what. Uh, Donnie Carroll, Danny Exley. I don't know what makes people like you, you. Those are people who are on my <laughs> fuck your ass list. I know it's not a very, it's very crude for an educated, articulate man. Sorry, mom. She tried. <laughs> but it's a list of people and it's a short list. And that's my list of if you don't like them or they don't like you, fuck you. You can fuck your ass or I will get out of my face. <laughs> Fuck off. But it's a short list for a reason. I've named it horribly, so it's it's constant in my mind and in yours, hopefully. There are very few of us who do not need to manipulate the very fiber of our being, our selfishness, our grossness, just to be palatable to reality, to be palatable to the world. Lordy be, I had to change a lot about me. But it started easy before I knew what I was doing, really. You gotta understand to be in a school like Sudi e. Butler and a class full of seniors, and the teacher calls on you day after day and says, Hey, shift your chew around and your lip. It sounds lame, but you have to understand tobacco use was a 12 hour detention at my school where the hair couldn't touch your ears or your collar. And my bangs were always slicked back long enough to almost put in my mouth. <laughs> Social rebellion and defiance. They'd say, take this down to the office because they trusted me. Because I wasn't a fuckwad. I wasn't a goof off. I did their homework and I was not rude. And I paid attention. And well, they wanted to not like me, but overall, they couldn't not. Is that charisma? Teacher's pet I was not. Kyle Cowan. He'll tell you his first impression of me. I was looking over to see me snort a clonopin in that same class right off the desk. <laughs> and yet I 
was one of the only ones who passed that class with an A, much less. And Mr. Munn, he really liked me. So did his wife, Mrs. Munn, beautiful people, horribly treated. But I also looked at one of the prettiest girls in class, Maddie. One time she, she kind of mocked me and I looked over and I looked at her and I said, shut your, what did I say? I said, shut the fuck up. Maybe I called her a bitch. Oh, golly. Instagram has surely tortured me for that one all these years later. She's a beautiful woman. She's a beautiful woman who lived to be free and we all grow up. But my moment of rudeness will forever remind me. Ah, well. We live and we grow. But I never did take well to being mocked. I digress. The gab is. But anyway, so coming into school knowing four people and leaving and being not only well-liked, well-respected, but well-have good grades, just generally the exception to the rule. To be in the teacher's smoke shack with a cigarette in my hand will harp on that once again, 12 hours of detention, and have a have an assistant principal come in and say, Mr. Powell, I didn't see you here. I'll be back in five. And I'd say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. To be able to take Algebra 3 and finish my quiz test quickly, curve buster, by the end of the first semester, Mr. Compton took me out of the factoring for the grades, you know. I was a tutor, tutor the popular kids, and I had to grade their papers as well. I was just enough of a shit. I'd look, and if you, had, if you had erased that negative sign, or that positive looked weak enough to pass, man, I'd give you the point and a nod. we talk about it later when I tutored you. But, uh, Mr. Compton was not a man to give slack. Mr. Smith... That same senior year, like say he would, uh, he'd send me with a crew. <laughs> the second half of the semester, he'd send me with a crew of my peers, and we would, we would make the stage for the next performance of theater production. Mr. Smith, of course, was a very—he was, he was a good, sweet man. Um, you know, definitely gay, of course, which you would think would clash with whatever the fuck I was. This weird kind of grungy person. I was not emo, I was not punky, uh, I was not a redneck, but yet I was a redneck. Uh, I floated between groups. I think his predetermined uh, classifications for me didn't fit well. When I could drive that three, you know, that tenpenny nail, said it with one punch, drove it with the second one, and then I sang the words to, to the Green Day musical. And, uh, I don't know, power, power. I was fascinated with it. I don't know how it gets us to here. That's what the Gabbis does. It's kind of a meandering. Most of y'all will know this, this test run of this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Reliving some of the days. Because all in all, I'm trying to get to the summation of the man that I am. I'm trying to formulate a picture 
of what leads me to stand where I stand here today. And truly, it will take many, many of these sessions. Call it therapy, maybe. Need therapy, perhaps. I've had some. It's interesting. It's interesting to go in and the professionals evaluate you. I've had that lovely experience and they say that you are normal as could be at risk for drug behavior but not an addict. Not a risk to yourself or others, not even in the slightest. Mental evaluations check out. And then to go and tell your buddies you know I don't even know if I know how to tell them the truth. And they say, oh come on you can't lie. They look for the lie and I tell them, man I been lying my whole life about who I am. See, I don't know where the lie stops. The seamlessness. I know my head works differently than other people's. My friend Mike paid me a compliment the other day. Harden Mike, prison Mike, white Mike. <laughs> the black man. Next door to Tyler. The lovely sweet soul. His face tattoos that still scare me sometimes when he gets animated but he said man I don't know how the way you were raised it would either breed super genius or serial killer or suicide super genius I'm not that serial killer no I'm not that either suicide nah I mean, I'd like to suffer this bitch out to the end. I'd like to either, I want to pay atonement, though. I don't want to make the world bleed. I find that to be a very weak mentality in and of itself. But I spent several of my formidable years wanting the world to bleed. And yet, control. There was no risk of being a school shooter. No more than I was at risk of breaking and entering or whatever, whatever it is that uh, troubled youths with violent tendencies do. It's just not who I am. Some people cut their wrists, right? Self-mutilation. I was talking today with a friend about this. And they have a ribbon for that. And it's almost pretentious to say, I don't want to offend anybody, but my self-mutilation was different. Self-mutilation through labor. Self-mutilation through... Just... Uh, ex exhibiting the word. No, just, yeah, I guess, whatever. Through putting myself through horrible situations and conditions. All of my struggle in my life is self-manufactured. I have a twin brother, David. Graduated high school, you know, as almost a sophomore at U of L, college credit hours. To which he then dropped those college credit hours and started all over again in speed school to be a mechanical engineer, which he then got that bachelor's degree for mechanical engineering through the University of Louisville Speed program, and that is 
prestigious, hard, discipline. Discipline of a type that I didn't think I had to, I didn't think I had the discipline in me, but I just hadn't grown long enough to see that my discipline was a different ilk, a different breed, a different disease in and of itself, but no less um, rigorous, no less unforgiving. David married his high school sweetheart. They were prom king and prom queen. Ironically and not ironically, everyone wanted to see them together because they were nerdy and sweet. But at the same time, beautiful. Mary Brittany. Brittany's a nurse now. He's a mechanical engineer, 27 years old. He's a life partner, power couple. They have their first baby and they live just a few doors down from my mama and daddy, which is not to say I'm not a, I'm a mile away on Grandma Street, but that's a whole other story. David did things the right way. Austin, my little brother, he, uh, he saw David and he saw me and he split the middle. He split the middle in the good ways. It means he dabbled in the drugs here and there. And he got out and he lived a little bit, but he didn't gnash at his bonds like I did. He did not fly in the face of, of authority in attack mode, but it was a passive attack. Like I say, I've lived a lot my whole life from parents who gave a fuck about me, really cared. Austin learned to test the ropes and the boundaries and never had to ride in the back of a low, low caddy to get alcohol when he could walk down the street and get Oxycontin. Of course, Austin now, he works in cybersecurity with his bride, Rose. They've been doing a stint in South Carolina. Out on their own, doing things. Good, God-fearing people. Well, David and Austin like grounded better not hanging out with felons <laughs> not collecting rocks not being strange they did not knock their heads the way I've knocked my head nor do they have any want to God bless them I wouldn't call them normal. It's hard to call people of that level of intelligence normal. Austin scored a 33 on his ACT, final grade. David, a 32. And I took it sophomore year of high school in Texas. I was still high on marijuana from the night before. I scored a 27. No study aids, no nothing. Which, of course, my original score was higher than David or Austin's. I think David scored a 26 or a 25, and Austin's somewhere in there. And they took the study courses, and they improved their score. And Well, you know, I couldn't be bothered to give a shit. My individual scores did fluctuate, you know. I think on the second try-through, I got a 32 in the English. I think on the third try-through, on the, what was it? Math always kind of drug me down, which is funny because I'm a math kind of guy, but um, science, it was science. A 28 in the math, a 32, jumped around, but I just never could be bothered to care. Could not be bothered to care. I think that makes me stupid. 
But I was worried about other things. I was worried about girls. I, uh, I can remember being broken over the fact that I didn't think I was going to be a good father at the age of 16 or 17, which was bonkers, of course, and puzzling, most certainly, to my current girlfriend's dad at the time. He said, you're just, you know, 16, 17. But when you're a super genius raised by parents who give a fuck, you realize that by fornicating, you risk being a father, and therefore I was ready to change my entire life then and there to the code. And the code always has been, well, one day, get a wife. Get a wife. Stop, uh, stop chasing ladies. All right? Code, check. Code is one day have a kid change like my dad changed. Hold on. Yeah, and that's married life for you. And again, I guess it's really not on her that I'm out here at 4:30 a.m. burning a fire. Like I say, it was a large one. A lot of brush. Many hours. <clears throat> Many hours. But, um, where was I? Anyway, I had the code to change. I wanted to grow up so bad. I wanted all of it. And that freedom wasn't it. The responsibility. I wanted, yeah, freedom. Ruined my childhood, some people would say, but really what it was is it was setting me leaps and bounds above where my peers were in the matter of stress and worrying. But it started formulating the mind. You torture yourself like that. When you inflict all of your own miseries and wounds upon yourself. It's hard to it's hard to blame others. <laughs> Not that it would do any good. It's something else we should get out of the way. I'm an absolute ownership kind of person. Thank you, Jocko Willink, for introducing me to that theory. Theorem, however you would say it, that a bit of perfect thinking. You have to realize that at some point in time, I could have changed something with any interaction, anything that's gone badly or well. I could have changed for the better. I could have heightened somehow. You don't use that to kill yourself. What you do is just use it to excuse yourself for making excuses. So in my positions of power, whether I was a boss at work, whether or not I let my buddy borrow my car or whatever. If the buddy fucks up the car or the mistake is made, costing production, yada yada, I'm not going to yell at my buddy whom I let drive my car any more than I'm going to call a customer and say, <laughs> you know, so-and-so made a mistake. They don't want to hear it, first off. Secondly, it makes me look weak. And thirdly, it's like blame, blame, blame. I told, uh, told several of my late employees, the later ones, 
It's the only way that I would ever motherfucker them. The only way I would ever look at them and say, you motherfucker. It would be if a mistake was made and I'm all angsty. Maybe I'm cussing. Maybe I'm saying that. Fuck, fuck, fuck. But if I'm not looking at you and I'm saying fuck you, then I don't want to hear not my fault, even if it's not your fault. If I'm not blaming you, don't cause attention to be pulled to you. Because then suddenly you're worried about blame. You're worried about blame and I'm worried about fixing a mistake. And that means you're not working with me. You're not working for me. Get the fuck out of here, motherfucker. <laughs> and surprisingly, it worked. I found that most people, unless they're complete pieces of shit, which we all have our moments, but unless you're a complete piece of shit all the time, you realize when I'm eating crow for your mistake. You realize that you suck, especially when I say things like, you know, this is clearly a failure on my part to uh, to teach you how to do this correctly. <laughs> I clearly have put too much faith in you to do your job. This is my bad. We will figure out how to correct this. And then I take the brunt of the blame. And then I take it on the head. Which can make me look incompetent. Especially, you know, if management or if whoever is on the other receiving end is incompetent. If they can't put two and two together and realize that, in fact, I probably don't suck that much. Or if they can't infer it, I don't care. That's not up to me. What's up to me is to ensure that my team knows the one that I have their back. And two, to lead by example. Which will segue into that now. Leading by example. I. With the personal opinion. That do as I say not as I do. Is horseshit. For normal people. To justify. Sorry. To justify normal. And shitty 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 behavior patterns and actions. Uh, that is a good way to justify not growing. Hypocrisy, weakness, and weakness disgusts me of that kind. Now, if you define weaknesses, holding your hands up to God at a church service with tears in your eyes, or to come before a guy and say, you're hurting my feelings, please stop that. Well then, you can't get weak with a friend and tell them that you did wrong and it's wounded you deeply to have wounded them. My weakness is strength and I believe it becomes your weakness, but to lead by example, to inspire, whether that be fear, loyalty, whatever, but to be the person that I wanted to, to see in the world. I was bitter for a long time. When I sold weed, none of my buddies paid for weed, you know. Also, I don't sell weed and what? Can't smoke me up. When I'd ride for you, when your cars would break down. Or when I'd bend over backwards and get in trouble with my <laughs> parents, wife, 
whatever. You wouldn't do the same for me. It broke me. It hurt my feelings. A lot of people are like that. Hmm. My buddy Nate Dog. Nate Dog. It's Nate Dog. He's a good man, but Nate Dog gets treated like shit, and he goes in above and beyond to treat people well, to, to help, to try and teach and guide, or just to do for. And then people don't even have the decency to be well decent. Nate doesn't like it very much. Nate's had a lifetime full of people kicking this shit out of Nate. I don't blame Nate. <laughs> Love you, buddy. But I figured out that I was going to do that anyway. I was going to be me anyway. I was going to be that guy. I was going to I was gonna go farther. I was going to go beyond. And I wanted a friend so bad that, that was going to do that for me. But I realized that in the absence of that person, I was still going to be that person. And when I made peace with that, I began to find these people. I began to coax that out. Because some people do key in. Some people do get it. Into the chagrin of my, well, wife, mother. <laughs> A lot of times those are the people who life has kicked the shit out of. A lot of times those are the people who have empty places. Those are the ones who appreciate you. And they don't look good on paper. They don't always have something to offer. Anything more than the appreciation. But if you're going to be that guy anyway. If you're going to do and go beyond the call of duty. If you're going to be extraordinary in this world. Full of the sadly ordinary really the recognition of who you are and what you're doing, the appreciation for what you do is all the payment you, you're ever going to get. So I thought. So I think sometimes. And that bred loyalty. And I wouldn't trade them for the world. So yeah, I like my misfits. I like my weirdos. And I like my broken people. But more than anything, man, Oh, this is hard for some people to stomach. I like my Jesus. I like God. I love Him. Hmm. As a drug using 4.30 a.m. neighborhood fire burning, rock collecting, fishing, hunting, stranger in this world. That's not what a lot of people want to hear. A lot of people don't want to hear it anyway. A lot of people don't want to hear you have faith. A lot of people have these predetermined connotations, once again, of what it means. Bible thumping Christians, brow beaters. It offends them to even talk about it. A lot of people get all fucking wadded up on creation versus evolution. The minutia. But only a fool says there is no God. And I would be a big fool to look at my life and not size it up with something more. But on top of all that, let's clear one thing up. Jesus came into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. So who the fuck am I to judge you? And Jesus is love. And love never comes from a place of hate. 
hate the sin and not the sinner. And if you can't get the two things separated, you need to not be telling people anything about it. You don't understand Jesus. Not my Jesus. Jesus. Who hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, and discipled murderers. So... You can understand the kind of a predicament that must put me in with the Pharisees of this day. <laughs> so anyway, but a revolution in my life has taken place, and I mean a revolution. I mean a civil war, violent and bloody. <laughs> my life, the the chapter labeled a baptism by fire and the baptism of fire and I say hold my head under forge me of steel or break me make me the example and at the end of it all I stand here today watching this fire cook down I stand here and I say the missing piece of the peace my soul has been deprived of is just so simple. It's what does it say in the Bible, right? And God was with Andrew. And God is with me. So on this one, I will go ahead and I will stop us here and I will start another segment that I will cut out normally <clears throat> for any kind of publishing. And we're going to do some talking to you few. Alright, to you few. I stand on the precipice now of a new era of life. The new era. And I don't mean just that it's COVID-19. Shit's all weird. I don't mean a new era as in my, what I thought was my life track plan. The continuation of the working at the shop. One day it's taking over. I don't mean, uh, I don't mean the... Troubles I've had with my lady lately. <clears throat> the legal troubles that have come from the dropping of a firework. Ooh, do not get me started. No, I don't mean any of that. I don't even necessarily mean the fact that after five years of obsessively chasing this dream, this pipe dream, I wasn't even going to admit until earlier this year that I wanted to be an archaeologist. <clears throat> Pretentious, I know. Which I have met with great and excellent success, but am now all but abandoning in the hopes of saving my marriage. Because it's the rocks or her, really, and it's got to be her. Which has given me a chance to truly see how successful I am now that I've been able to look at the collection instead of adding to it. It's, well... It's rocks, y'all. 
But I mean, here in the next week or so, I should have the results on the Blue Rock. By the Blue Rock, I mean what I, 95 to 99% absolution believe, is a chondrite meteorite. It could just be a regular carbon-based stony iron meteorite, but I do believe it's a chondrite. And I do believe that it has been worked by Native American hands, which all of you know, I never, I never wanted to be this fucking weirdo who alienated his friends and family and, you know, like say, drove, drove his wife to insanity and himself for rocks, much less did I want to be that, f- that fucking weirdo talking about chondrite meteorites, meteorites, huh? kind of cracked out fucking meth head no crack right (laughs) no but here I am here I am recording a private segment and we'll we'll know soon but at this point even my own father he did not want to hear anything about this 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 gives a push (laughs) considering this find with my metal detector to be a meteorite was a thing that pushed me into a rehab stint. <laughs> Outpatient. I had to work, right? But even my own father now says, if it's not a meteorite, I don't know what it can be. And that, for me, is powerful. And so let's say that it's nothing. And when I say, let's say it's nothing, I feel great relief. Because that will make my life so much more simple. Because I feel trepidation. Because as a few of you know, if it is what it is, it has also been worked by Native American hands. arrowheads. I'm digging through a layer of the oldest arrowheads. I'm digging through a layer of paleo tips, crescent moon shapes. I'm digging through that layer and below it I am finding bright blue rock. Some of it has stony stones. Some of it has stones in it. Fusion crust, intact, desert weathering, purple hues to pieces, which means it's been exposed to the elements for thousands of years. It's got the chondrules, it's got regmaglyph action going on, flow lines, it's got it all. But above all, it has some of it has this slag almost feature to it, but it's not bubbly, it's just melty which I believe is what was happening. I believe the Native Americans were superheating this and then they were grinding it down into things. And Tyler, you you pulled out a 164 gram crescent. Crescent moon. As if it wouldn't be powerful enough to be in possession of over 20,000 grams of chondrite meteorite. Which I mean shit. If it was, you know, the blue, <laughs> that blue cobalt Oh, 
just to be in possession of the most base form of it would guarantee me what five dollars per gram five dollars a gram twenty thousand and there's there's a piece in the ground still I would bet it's bigger than a beach ball you know that's enough money to really change things as the shop ends and life starts anew and you all know the spiel if you don't the only reason I'm on that property at all <clears throat> at that point in time when I marked it up is because I was doing the right thing that's another story a long recounting but if it's a contract meteorite Ten a gram is reasonable. Twenty a gram is uh, perfectly reasonable, especially for how large some of the pieces are. But a set of earrings was recently recovered and sent back to a tribe made out of chondrite meteorite origins unknown, and they valued for the you know 1.3 gram pair or whatever it was they valued in the millions of dollars and I believe I have pairs of earrings I believe I have earplugs needles arrowheads and I know that's when I knew when Tyler pulled this out of the ground he said what the fuck is that it's a crescent moon perfect crescent moon when I showed it to my dad, my dad said, what is that? And that's when he said, if it's not, I don't know. But if a little pair of earrings values at 1.3 or whatever, what is 160? What is 164 gram crescent moon value at? And if it's not a meteorite, then what the hell is going on there? leisurely figured that out. Fat Paul Smith said he's never foundered metal. That's what his slag. Foundry. Top of the tallest point where I watched the sunset. So trajectory wise, if one was going to come in, it would hit there. And that's where you would have your crescent moon that you worshipped because <clears throat> the crescent moon signified the last light at night you saw until darkness at night and then you wanted it so badly to come back you wanted that crescent moon to come back you wanted light at night because back then the short-nosed bear and the mastodon and the saber-toothed cats and grizzly bears and yeah wolves they all wanted to eat you little meat bag the glaciers were just receding. You were out there on the tundra. All of it fits. All of it points to being correct. Everything, everything I've researched, everything I've seen. When the 12,000 years ago, when the glaciers would have receded, that was the first land masses that would have been available. So I stand on a precipice. 
stand on a precipice of knowledge to be free of the blue rock alone is huge and I'm all but willing to throw away all the artifacts and they are part of me has thought about throwing them away the other part of me is now slowly sorting through and cleaning and send off some pictures and things because I mean if you haven't beheld the collection there, there are some pieces in it that are most assuredly most assuredly museum grade quality statues scenery carvings <laughs> stuff that no one's talking about here Nah. Who gives a shit? So I'm thinking about HEAC. <laughs> if it doesn't work out. If I find out it's not a chondrite meteorite, then I'm going to <clears throat> I'm gonna sell some arrowheads. I'm gonna take care of my promise to David Babcock. And I'm gonna sadly say sorry to the rest of you. Some of you with hope. Some with a fool's hope, right? I'll say sorry. Fill a fish tank full of it. Then we'll work to figure out how to scrape through this life together. We'll have each other, and I won't have to dig up blue rocks anymore. But if it's right, it's enough money for someone to kill your whole family. If it's right, I have to approach my own family from an anonymous buyer and procure this property and put it into a family trust so that the children of my children's children could stand, those still in the womb of time, Theodore Roosevelt. For those still in the womb of time, that they may see what I see now and stand where my grandfather and my papa and Mamma stood together, and my dad and mother. And now I and my wife, when she comes to scold me and tell me it's time to leave. <laughs> and that is just the beginning. I'm gonna walk to the garage real quick. I, uh,. I wrote down my list of hopes tonight for my plans, roughly outlined. <sighs> I'm not taking the victory lap yet, but I want you all to all know. I want you to know where I stand now. I'm the here. So, as of February 22nd, 2021, the Lord is with Andrew. Don't forget that. But out of the out of the hundred percent, the first thing that happens is. 10% comes off the top of the gross weight estimate. And that means that what I have out of the ground now, 10% of that, of that weight based on the grade of this thing, 
<clears throat> alone goes straight up to my tithe, man. It's going to God. And later on, it won't be just the 10%. It won't be Cain and Abel. It will be the best 10%. And that means 10% comes off and then much more. I don't plan to just put this in the hands of anyone. I want to put this in the hands of Matthew Morris. And then I want to use it. I want the Lord to use it to change Valley Station, Kentucky. I'll get into that later. The second thing that happens is my mother's cut because I've told all of you all 50-50 just to hold the shovel on metal detecting. Just come believe in me. Just come spend some time with me. 50-50 up to 1,000. We'll renegotiate. Well, she and I will renegotiate, but I plan to put this in a trust. We say the land to immortalize it for her father's name and her. I want to give that gift to Papa Smith, who's told me over and over again, even if it is a meteorite, it's mine. It's yours, pal. Papa, what if I dig up a Morgan Dollar 1830cc Carson City man? $100,000 coin, Papa. What then? He said, you dig one of them up, you'll take care of me. Papa Smith's got all the money he needs, but I plan to take care of his family. Then, I need to pay attention to the fact that my mother homeschooled me. Mama gave nine years. My mama was making more money than my dad made at Ford. <laughs> my mama was making $100,000 a year and gave it up to homeschool three boys, one of which, me, the lesser son. Lesser son could have turned out to be a big old flopping zero, right? But I'd like to pay her out for that. I figured, what, ten thousand a year for private education? So maybe a hundred grand off the top. If I could give that to my mama, that'd be great. That'd be great. I'd like to pay my daddy, you know. I'd pay my dad for training me into the man that I am. I'd like to give him ten thousand dollars a year too. Two hundred and seventy grand for training me. I'd like to cut him off a cool, crisp, you know, quarter of a million dollars. Wouldn't that be something? But really that doesn't take precedence. Because it may not be that much money. be that much money. Can't be, right? So instead, I must set a more reasonable dream in which, according to how much it is, I'll talk to my mama. We'll figure that out.
But first and foremost, Dave Babcock, you get your teeth, brother. While I got that dentist hooked in, I'm also going to fix Cody's tooth and Mike's tooth. And that tooth tyler broke off. And there's this poor boy up on top of the hill named Ryan. I want to fix his tooth, too. Really badly. I want to fix some teeth. What comes next is the cleaning of records. What comes next is David Babcock, Michael, Nate. This piss feels so good. Right in the drain where it belongs. Who else is on there? My buddy Stephen Mello keeps leaving me too. She told me I wasn't crazy. Everybody else turned their backs on me. You all. You stuck it through, and for that, I would like to see you free. At least that much. Ah, but first. First, there's the pecking order. Cody Cornrump, I'd like to see you debt free to your father in law. I'd like to see you debt free. I would like to see you with a good vehicle that can't be taken from you. <laughs> Peeps Company car. I'd like to know that your home is not in limbo. You've worked for me so hard. You have come and I have worked you like a slave. And I've told you if it turned out to be anything. I told all of you. Dave, Tyler, Coco, I told you all, if it ever turned out to be anything at all, I would not forget you, I would cut you in. You all, all said to me, we are not here for that. We are here because we love you. We are here because we enjoy your time. We are here because you enjoy this. And for that, thankful doesn't begin. But anyway, once some security and peace comes to Coco. And it's back to Dave to clean this record. And then it's Nate and it's Mike and it's Malik. If that types it out right there, I'm done. Fine. But if not, we must now reconnoiter. And here it goes. I've got written here. Tyler Davis, I want you to have my Mustang GT. I want to retire your father from working. And I want to give your mama some money for all the good and all the effort and all the child raising and all the just bullshit. She has suffered through willingly. She is a damn good woman. And I would like to see I'd like to see her recognized for some of that. And then I'd like to put you to my side. I'd like to put you on my side. I would like for you and I to strike out on this world against the 40-hour week. And for more, if you want to rap, fine. But you'll do something, motherfucker. <laughs> my buddy Aaron... Aaron Abel says, uh, his dad's got early onset dementia going on, dude. Then I held him when he found out. We cried together. I'd like for him to have some time with his pa. 
he streams, but he also is one who pushed me to do this podcast stuff. He's always been on my side. He's been a better friend than I have. I'd like to strike out against the world with you two, on the side, on my side, together. Big Rob Jones, I would like to put your family trust land back together, that heartache, I would like to see it put in a trust in the Jones name, to be tended by you, and I will set terms or do whatever, blah, 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 but the deal is I want it to be the humble long table I've got it written here. I want it to be a place where we can all meet all under one table in each bounty of the land. For your pap, for you, for being a good man. And to show that sometimes, dude, your buddies, not sometimes, your buddies are always going to shit on you. And people very rarely will treat you the way that you treat them. You're another one out here soldiering like Coco and it kills you. Cody, it crushes his spirit. You, it enrages your soul. And for me, my heart hurts for the both of you. Knowing full and well, you will continue to be the men that you are. My friend Scott Hartman, Scotty Do, he's, he's a man. He's a man of my age, and he's a man I look up to. I look up to him avidly. We should all be more like him, but I would like him to be able to work that land with you. He loves his tractors, man. I think he'd do well on the farm. The two of you I'd like to see maintain this thing. It'll be big. Um, pipe dreaming here, come on. I'm almost done. I couldn't think of a lot. My cousin Matt Smith, a boon, will be granted to you. I'd like to see you strike out against the world as well with me. But you have a child and all this, and so we will work on that. Dave Van Tilburg, a boon. And ask. Nick Mahoney, a boon. Donnie Carroll, a boon for believing in me and avidly just being He's on the fuck your ass list. He's a good man, damn it. I don't know why, I don't know how he is. I'd like to see him blessed. Bobby and Paul Jones. I'd like to see y'all have a reliable vehicle. It's decent housing, man. I do love you all. Stephen Miller, like I said, I'd like to see you on side too, but more than anything, you got a kid. I want to see your record clean. I want to see you free of legal trouble. Boy, I don't care if I got to make you, I don't care if you got to pee constantly, do whatever it is. We'll figure it out, but you believed in me. I believe in you. Weak on it. Adam Merwin, Tyler's brother, man. I'd like to see him clean. I'd like to see him on my side with us there. I'd like to see a fresh beginning. I'd like to see hope. Ah, clean slate, even if you want to dirty it up again, you fucker. Love you. See here. Sean Schild, I'd like to, uh, like to put the land that he's on now, the neighboring acreage, yeah, into a trust for his boy with a good barn on it so that he may... Not worried about the bank taking it, and he, he and your wife, you know, it's like, uh, have a fighting chance, man. Of doing something good, he's good at, and he knows. You don't have to roughneck it like he, nah. 
there ain't too many dudes like us left around, Sean, but I'd like to outplay you. I'd like to. I cannot thank you enough for being you. Earlier this year, you told me, Drew, man, maybe you'll be able to do this artifact thing as a profession. Maybe you'll be able to actually do it. And I about choked up and cried right there in front of you. And I laughed hysterically because I was never willing to admit to myself that it was I had a passion for it or that it could ever be anything. And you believed in me enough to say it, you know, and you just believe it's always blowing smoke up my ass, man. Always telling me again how good a dude I was, and you don't understand what I how bad I needed that. Because at the point in time, everybody told me I was just this fucking. I was listening to what the world was telling me about me, and it hurt me. And I almost forgot who I am. I'd like to give you the world, man. Nothing else. I'd like to just take you, take you up north, and do some hunting or something. Joseph Irwin, I'd like to bring you up to the side too, but if nothing else, dude, I just wanna, I just wanna clean your slate, dude. I'll let you know I believe in you. I'll let you know I've see deeply, more deeply now than ever, just kind of what you see, you get your head going on in your life, dude. I just fucking, I'm just real pleased with how you turned out. You ain't done turning out yet, and I know you're bad, and I know you're good, but I know you're good. God loves you, man, I do too. And to my brothers, Austin and David, I want the furtherment of dreams and a continuation of our lives this far. Astonishingly unique, painfully arrogant to describe to other people. Incredible and incredibly blessed. It's like anything else and I can't even begin to describe how good we've had better. Kyle Hunt, I'd like to, I'd like to have your dad see the country place we've spent all them years not killing deer and learning camaraderie, loving each other, and fucking learning how to make gravy. I'd like to put that in y'all's name forever. No one can take it. No one had to worry about it. I'd like to see that for Danny. Maybe buy that bar at the end of the street and fucking pave it over or do whatever and pave it. Oh, we pave it, just raise it to the ground after I metal detect it. And there's a couple other initials I got written here. I'd like to put scholarships in place for your kids. Beautiful souls. You touch my life. I have down here two more names. I got Andrew P. Powell. I got. Uh, I like to have the truck. A truck. I'd like to have the uh, the lake house where the missing pal is felt. Grandpa was there, and I'd like to be third generation owner. I'd like to live with my mom and daddy on the property to the day the day we die. I'd like to I'd like to now keep my daddy close to me because that is that is the saddest part of the shop's parting is that I would be separated from the only man who will ever truly know me. I will be I can't say it with conviction that this was weird. First time in my life. Conviction is always there and it still is deep but the only man will ever know me. 
maybe I'll have a son one day. Maybe through this and my actions and just what's to come, maybe, maybe I won't be alone. Maybe some of you will know me truly now. In a world where I have lived a stranger, alone and chased and hunted and a liar for preservation of my own stupidness and creation of whatever this mess is in front of us now that it's me but I would hold my daddy tightly he is the best man and he's the best dad And if I ever meet a man whose daddy would give mine a run for his money, I will know him by his character. I will know him by the vibration in the room. And if I don't, well, I pray my eyes are open. Still looking. Last name here uh, to Andrea. Oh, it says, oh, sorry, mine. It says, see below. And then you see Andrea. I'd like to buy her a horse. And I'd like to, a small house built to her liking. And a good man in me. Like say, the, uh, I'd like to, re the retirement of her father. I'd like to, I'd like to see Andy retired for her. And for me good man don't need to be worrying about no more money he needs no more use but to be loved he has worked hard and he's given me the greatest gift besides my salvation the safe savior himself my wife and then I say here I'd like for her to travel the world or to stay at home love and I'd like to, and I want to be to her side. I want to be on her side. And then, Lordy B, I'd like to adopt Noah and Scarlet, if that's what she wants to do. Make them dependent on us. For memory, Catherine and Mike. I got to thinking maybe they'll say my list is short my little you know, truck lake house my mom and dad on my side and, you know to, to me but y'all have to understand this whole thing is my list I'm selfish selfish to the fault so if it's nothing maybe I'll get I'll probably get self-conscious I won't show nobody this I won't Maybe I will just toot my own horn. Just let you all know it's like a foolish dreamer I am, but I'm true to it. I, I cannot give you all money. Hundred thousand dollars would kill a man a hundred thousand ways, and then when it's gone, he blames himself. But I'd like to think that. I like to think that a man that loves Jesus might love you all. 
and show you just a portion of how he's changed my life. Because I do believe in my idiot child soul, man, I believe. And I hate to say this out loud, but I believe when the Big Bang happened, when God snapped his fingers in the creation, five billion years ago or whatever, chondrite meteorites are the first things to exist. They carry amino acids, the building blocks of life. And I believe God tore one of his stars from the heavens and smoked that hillside. And I believe I was meant to find it. If I had not studied the artifacts so hard as to chase these pieces from Abbotson all the way out to the Rocky Mountains, if I hadn't poured them out, I poured them out. I threw them on the ground. I threw it on the ground. <laughs> I threw them out. I said, God, I will live this way. I screamed. I gave them to him and he gave them back to me. I found them. First video I looked at, I found them. After a thousand, just I feel like thousands, hundreds of hours. Insanity. Sober, sober. I was in rehab. And during that same stand, I went up there. I got out of rehab, and the whole world. They were justifying all my strangeness based on drug usage. metal detect so stupid I would look at rocks with my head in the clouds I was 14 weeks sober in the winter in January I'd get out of rehab nine o'clock at night And I would drive up there and I put my little headlight on and I'd get down under the pear tree into the earth and the dirt and I'd put my head in the hole and I'd hide from my smoke reputation. <laughs> I'd live life for years breaking myself to try and do right and love people like Jesus. 14 weeks sober I couldn't stop going up that hill then taking a little blue rock out and I'd say it and everyone knows my tears were hitting the hole and they were freezing and I was out there partially to punish myself for this thing I had become what the world told me I was suffer and the other part was because I couldn't stop picking up what I thought was slag I said God I whispered I said God why am I here is my mind broken <laughs> did the trucks fuck me up permanently Why am I still here?
I was alone. But I wasn't. God was with me. And whether this thing is something or not, I know who I am. And I am fierce. fear the cold I do not fear loneliness and I do not fear for it either way but I know what I've paid to get here but for me it feels like I was playing still and I know that if I take away my mind from these rocks blue or otherwise If I shoot this shot and it's all for nothing. My hopes won't be dashed and my dreams will not be failed and my time will not have been wasted. For now I know. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, two things are certain. My grandma was right when she told me, Andrew, don't worry about what you're going to do. You will be good at anything you set your hand to. She said, baby, don't worry. You will find success. And your grandpa would be proud of you. And I go around the corner. the street right now stand I go around the corner and I'd sit down and I'd weep and I'd think yeah he didn't know me and you don't either and I'd drink my swig my 40 I remember like it's yesterday I said you don't know the fuck up that I am and would he ever be proud and then I'd think am I going to be good at something when I don't even know what I'm going to do? She was right. I will fucking bleed. I will dig until my fingernails fall off or I will work until I die. And my grandpa did not value money over men. He was a poor boy from the mountains. He valued hummingbirds over his fishing boat. He valued card games and hugs. And he was a killer. He was a survivor and he loved the Lord and he loved his lady. And it shows. And then I know that God was with Peeb. He was with me when I was picking up the rocks that looked like birds. And ended up being right on them. He was with me 
with me in the tornadoes while I fished and he was with me in the cave by myself he was with me with the AK-47 under the van sleeping he was with me in the Amish country he was with me in my lowest of my lows he was with me when I wrecked the Mustang he was with me when I ran over Andrea and was gonna go die in the Daniel Boone National Forest God was with me. And I have found greater success in my failures than many men will find in their whole lives. Chasing dreams. Of ash and dust. And I have peace in that. I do believe, gentlemen, whatever happens next, you'll see the power that comes with peace. Now I plan to make war on the chaos. <laughs> I love you all. Thanks for letting me get weak. Thanks for listening. To God be the glory. And, uh, let's do this thing together. <laughs> <laughs>